last week, uh, we asked the Lord to open our hearts to the wonder of the grace he wants to give us. We looked at Mary and how she was favored. And that word for favor is the same word for grace. And that how she was highly favored, she was highly graced. Not because, not, not because of what she had done, but because God wanted to grace her and God wants to give us that same grace. Not because of anything we do, and uh, we're going to see that again a little bit later with someone else. Um, but we talked about how the Lord has done mighty things for us, and there's good news for us today. And then uh, throughout this week, though, I was reminded of how hard the holidays can be for people. They can be, they can be really hard. They remind us of um, unmet expectations, disappointments in life things that have been difficult. And um, in our Wednesday afternoon prayer time, we were praying together and everyone's invited to that. It's on Zoom. And one of our, our friends who prays with us from another state, or she's always somewhere in the world, you never know where she is, but um, her name is Holly. And she prayed this. She said, Lord, during the holidays, she said, our heartaches seem bigger she said something like this, our heartaches seem bigger, our troubles are magnified, our pain is accentuated. Would you be with us? Would you please help us? Can we all say amen to that? Yeah. I'm sometimes perplexed and amazed at how much we love our cheesy Christmas movies. <laughs> I know other people are perplexed by that too. Yeah. At our house, it's like I mentioned last week, the Griswolds Christmas vacation, Elf, the classic white Christmas sisters, sisters. There I go. I'm gone. Just, you know, all of those classics. And I wonder, is it because they're predictable? They have predictable outcomes. We watch them every year. They have happy endings. Does it help us kind of escape or soothe the pain or the doldrums we feel this time of year? Side note, speaking of cheesy Christmas movies, what has 15 actors, five scenes, two writers, and one plot? Ah, you got it! One, oh, do we have our PowerPoint? <laughs> 136. Hallmark Christmas movies. And you know who loves every single one of them? Our Hallmark Christmas family, the Deans. Let's get the next picture. Look at them. Do they not fit in a Hallmark Christmas movie? You can roast. I asked her permission to roast her for her love of Hallmark Christmas movies. But life is not as predictable as a Hallmark Christmas movie, is it? We often feel in the dark, a little bewildered. We try and orient ourselves and stabilize ourselves in this crazy life. There's a word I love. It's called spelunking. Have you ever heard that word? Raise your hand if you've heard that word. Okay, so you probably know what it means. Spelunking is cave exploring. I love the word because I love how it sounds, but I do not want to go <laughs> spelunking. <laughs> I don't like the idea of going into those dark caverns. 
Uh, a few years ago, we went with our family in California, Aaron's family, to the Moaning Caverns of Calaveras County. Calaveras, if you don't know Spanish, means skeleton. So we went into the Moaning Caverns of the Skeleton County. I was like, wow, we're going down there deep. And you go down this long spiral staircase and the tour guide leads you back in and you're looking at stalagmites and stalactites and they look so pretty in the light. And then what do they do? They always do this in those caverns. If you've ever gone, they ask you to turn off your phones, make sure they're off. And then they turn off the lights and oh, it gets quiet and dark. And all you hear is the moaning of the cave, right? And in that moment, you're like, panic. And now we at least have phones, right? Where we can turn our flashlights on. When we did that as kids with my parents, I can't remember where we went. We went to some caverns. And back then we didn't have phones and there's just this feeling of what would I do? Because I need light to have direction to get out of this pit in the ground. It was fun and games until I realized I couldn't get out, right? We want to be directed out of our pain. What movie can I watch to distract me? What substance can I take? to dull my feelings? How much activity can I do to keep myself busy? What religious practices can ease the discomfort? Today, I'd like to suggest that instead of avoiding, dulling, or escaping from these feelings, you intentionally bring them to the Lord and see what the Lord has to say about them. Bring them as gifts. These can be gifts. You can come and drop them in the offering basket if you want during worship. You know, you can do that. You can write something down and just come and leave it in the offering basket as a gift. I think about times when my friends have opened up to me about something deep or intimate in their heart and they've they're like shared something with me and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is a gift that they're opening up, that they're showing their true self, however troubled, however unknown, however anxious it might be. This is a gift that I want to receive. And would not the Lord feel that way about us? Bring me those thoughts, those feelings. So today I'm going to talk about three times God's people were in the dark, processing uncertainty in a pit, confronting the pain of their past, or trying to adapt to changes in plans and curveballs that life, the, the curveballs that life throws. And in the midst of all of it, God is always with us, and God wants to direct us where we go next. I love John 8:12. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to look at Isaiah the prophet speaking to God's people when they are directionless and roaming in darkness. Then we're going to look at Joseph, Jesus's adoptive father, when he was directed by God. And then finish with Jacob, encountering God when he was running away. It's gonna, it's good stuff. God's been speaking to me this week through all this stuff. I'm so thankful for God's faithfulness. 
So Isaiah and God's people in the Old Testament, a few hundred years after David was king, there was this prophet named Isaiah and he lived in Jerusalem and he spoke to the Jerusalem leaders and to the leaders of Judea. It was in the latter part of Israel's kingdom period. He brought God's message message to the leaders, warning them that their rebellion towards him and their rejection of him would come at a cost. He's like, if you keep rebelling against me, if you keep rejecting me, if you keep running to other places with your pain, with your troubles, if you keep going those places, Assyria and Babylon, these conquering nations are going to come and they're going to, they're going to take you. He's like, Hello, listen, I'm calling you back. Don't do that. Isaiah 7, 9. Here's a little summary sentence. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. He's like, come on, come back, come stand in your faith. But God's people refused to change their ways and come to God Instead, they they remained in darkness. They turned to false gods and counterfeit sources of comfort and direction. Here's an example in Isaiah 8, 19 through 22. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why? Why would you consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. It's as if they're in that cavern, that moaning cavern of Calaveras, Skeleton County. I love Calaveras County, by the way. It's, I love it, but I'm just using it as a metaphor, as an idea. Can we not relate to this? Instead of turning to God and what God says, we look for direction and light in all the wrong places, sometimes even going to fortune tellers and the dead. But when we do this, where do we end up? What did it say? It said we end up distressed and hungry, roaming and directionless, cursing King and God cursing government authorities and God, all we can see is distress, darkness, and fearful gloom. But wait for it. God is always calling us back, always present, always by our side, always ready for us. And then he says in the next chapter, chapter nine of Isaiah, the famous words we sing in Christmas carols and send in Christmas greetings. I'm, you're almost guaranteed to get a card with this this year from someone, Isaiah nine. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. 
Now I want you all to cue Handel's Messiah. You ready? Can you hear it in the background? I'm not gonna sing. Can we read this out loud together? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Sorry, I can't do it. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. <laughs> that was butchered, so sorry. <laughs> but of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. If you feel distressed, if you feel you're roaming directionless, is the sound on your lips just the cursing of king and god do all you is all that you see gloom and darkness cue handel's messiah <laughs> cue isaiah 9 legend says that when king george ii first heard this in london when he first heard it for the when he heard it for the first time he stood he was in awe and he was like i have to stand which is interesting because Isaiah 7 said, stand in your faith. There was a standing. And ever since then, whenever we hear the hallelujah chorus, the custom is, is for everyone to stand. Stand firm back in that faith. Turn back to God in awe. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government is on his shoulders. We don't have to bear that burden. He will be your wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Hey, now I wanna transition to talking about Joseph. Joseph, the man engaged to the favored Mary the man who had become the adoptive father of Jesus, a man who found himself with changed plans and needing new direction. I'm going to read from Matthew 1, from the message version. The birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. Before they enjoyed their wedding, night, Joseph discovered she was pregnant. It was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that. Who wants to teach that in youth group and children's church? <laughs> Joseph, chagrined but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so Mary would not be disgraced. While he was trying to figure a way out, he had a dream. God's angel spoke in the dream, Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant. She will bring a son to birth. And when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves. 
because he will save his people from their sins. This would bring the prophet's embryonic revelation to full term. Watch for this. A virgin will get pregnant and bear a son. They will name him Emmanuel, Hebrew, for God is with us. Then Joseph woke up. He did exactly what God's angel commanded in the dream. He married Mary, but he did not consummate the marriage until she had the baby, and he named the baby Jesus. Often in the nativity story, I've focused on Mary. Maybe that's because I'm a woman, so that I naturally relate to her. Maybe it's because of church tradition through all the ages has had a lot of focus on Mary. Maybe it's because there's not as much in the gospels about Joseph, right? But a few years ago, um, we started a Bible study with Chris and Amy Ludlow. Come on up, Chris. I'm grabbing a microphone here. I asked Chris to share about that experience with us because he helped me see Joseph. Come on over here. And all right. Oh, you can right and here. hold the microphone as close right here, as right possible. You're, you're trusting me with the microphone in front of the camera. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I am. I wanted him to share the story of when we were reading about Joseph. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so um, when uh, Amy and I started coming to the the fellowship, it uh, it had been about ten years since um, I had gone to church regularly, and uh, we got invited to this Bible study. Um, and I, uh, I mean, we had to go on Amazon and buy Bibles. Um, we, uh, we were what you would call, we were novice. Like we, we told Sarah and Aaron and the Deckers. Um, and so we did it over Zoom. And I remember um, reading this passage and I always had this um, version of this story where, I mean, it was very picture, picturesque and an amazing story about how Christ came into this world and it still is and and obviously an amazing thing but what stood out to me in reading this was the word chagrin um thinking about how Joseph initially responded to finding out because as it says and I didn't realize this but he found out she was pregnant before really knowing what had happened and reading the words that, okay, he was chagrined. He was, you know, embarrassed, distressed. I thought for a second, he's human. Like I can relate to that Mm -hmm. because if I was in his shoes, (laughs) I would have some questions. Be like, wait, um, how, who, what, there'd be a lot of questions. Right. But I had never pictured that in the story when reading it before. And, and several times when we had these Bible studies, um, I would, I would bring up the fact of how relatable these things are. It's amazing how old these stories are, but yet people still back then had the same challenges, distress, embarrassment, jealousy, like all of the emotions that we have today. I remember saying several times, I'm like, some things just never change. Like that, like they, they had those same things today. So just how relatable it kind of put a different spin on it for me. I, I was able to relate a little bit differently to Joseph than and this story than than I had previously. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. It was so wonderful um doing the Bible study with Chris and Amy 
because they just were seeing all of these things from such a different perspective. So I just encourage you to study the Bible with people who've never studied it before. It's such a life-giving and enjoyable and paradigm-shifting thing to do. So I encourage you to do that. But I loved, um, Chris, I think of as just an incredible father and husband and friend as the longer we've been able to get to know him, I'm like, he's the brother you always want. He's the one you always want with you. And so for him to be able to relate to Joseph that way, I remember thinking, Joseph, he was distressed. He was chagrined. He was, he, he was having trouble. But what did God do? God showed up and God gave him direction through a dream, right? God wants to speak to you. God wants to give you direction through dreams, through other people, through our prayer sessions. I heard a testimony this week that I, it's not mine to share, but one time we had prayer sessions up here and a woman's life was changed this last year with a gift that she has because someone else prayed for her. And because someone else gave her direction, someone else gave her a word that would encourage her. Because of God's direction through a dream and Joseph's willingness to hear, Joseph became Jesus' Galilean father. Mary was cared for. Prophecy was fulfilled. We have a story to look at today that reminds us that God wants to give us direction. God speaks to us. I remember when Aaron and I felt like we were supposed to step into this role here at church as lead pastors. And we were like, ah, we we're talking with the elders about it. They were the only people we were talking with at that time. And my neighbor down the street, who is not church to, um, I, you know, I don't really know her faith background, she call, She runs into me at Beans and Brew, and she's like, Sarah, I need to talk to you. Call me. I had a dream about you. I was like, well, that's interesting. So I go home. I call her, and she has this dream, and she's like, you quit real estate. You became a teacher, and you weren't just a normal teacher. You were one of those teachers who changes people's lives. And I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> I was like, um, I don't know what you feel about this, but I actually think God might be speaking to me through you. And she's like, I, I think so. I have goosebumps. And I said, yeah, I, I, I can tell you more later. But, and, and she starts telling me that she loves me. This is my neighbor. I don't see her that often. I was like, I love you too. And I was talking to another friend and they said, when God gives you a prophetic word, if it's really a word from God, it's gonna have love in it. If there's not love in it, it's not a word from God. And I was like, oh, okay, that's good. Cause I don't often tell my neighbors, I love you. <laughs> and then later, the same time period, I actually can't remember who came first. Um, Mark Francis, who shared communion today, who led communion today, he didn't know what we were thinking about. And he's, he, he sends us a, a, an email and he's like, hey, said, I feel like God is shifting your authority. Those weren't his exact words, but it was about authority. God's changing your authority. 
We're like, oh, thank you, brother. Thank you. I think of, of, of um, Mark as a fellow disciple. I think of my neighbor as the wise men coming from afar who are just like, God's up to something. Who is this God? We got to go see what this is about. You know, God wants to give you and me direction and God wants to confirm it. And another thing, I can't believe how often we ask for God to help us and then we don't expect a response. It happens to me all the time. The other day, Aaron came home and I was like, Aaron, you know, I changed something and I'm like, that was an answer to prayer. I said, I didn't even realize that was an answer to prayer. I haven't been paying attention, but God answered my prayer. Um, Just so many times, some other friends had asked God to show them something in their home and a a statue fell over and they're like, that's why is the statue falling over in our house? And then they realized they needed to get rid of the statue. So they got rid of the statue and then they were scared. Why do we have statues falling over in our house? And I said, well, you, and I said, have you asked God to show you anything? And they were like, oh, we did. We asked God to show us if there was anything we needed to change in the house. And then he changed it. And I was like, see, isn't God so nice? He actually responds to us. He does, but we're, sometimes we're not listening. So that's why I love dreams. And tonight at the end, I'm asking, or, or not tonight at the end, today at the end of service, I would ask you to turn to someone sitting next to you and say, will you pray for me to have dreams where God will speak to me? Because dreams in the night are the best. And we're going to talk more about that with Jacob. Jacob came from a family, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we read about them in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. Now, this family was a very ordinary family with lots of troubles and dysfunctions and challenges. They did lots of naughty things. The grandson, Jacob, was a liar and a thief of epic proportions, so much so that his brother Esau, his twin brother Esau, wants to kill him. Yeah, it's that bad that brothers are wanting to kill each other. Jacob's mom and Esau's mom is a plotter and a schemer. So she sends Jacob away from home under false pretenses to protect him from his brother Esau. And so we're going to pick the story up here where Jacob is running away from home. He deserves violence, like his brother has a reason to be mad at him. He deserves rejection. He deserves to be in trouble. And so he's running. Genesis 28, verse 10. Thank you, Caleb. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. Now we cue Led Zeppelin and Stairway to Heaven. Just kidding. (laughs) 
Handel and Zeppelin. He had a dream in which he saw, okay, I was distracted, sorry. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on this stairway. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and the south, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Let's pause here for a minute. Jacob didn't deserve any of this. The God's favor on him, God's promises towards him. He says, it doesn't matter what you've done. This is, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I want you to have an encounter with me. I want you to rest with me. I want you to turn back to me. I don't want you to go do this your own way. It's not working out very well for you. Let me do what I have promised. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Caleb, could you please go back to that first verse 10? Thank you. I want you to see a few things here. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And then when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night. Like the Bible's always mentioning the names and the places where people are going. But on this one, it says he reached a certain place. That's the same as saying he reached an ordinary place. (laughs) He reached a place with no name. He reached the Maverick over on 7th and 94th. (laughs) Right? This is where Jacob arrives. God wants to meet you in the ordinary places, the places with no name, the places that aren't especially flashy or exciting. And Jacob stops for the night. Sometimes we need to stop. Just stop. Sometimes we just need to stop. The sun had set. It was dark. The reality of the circumstances forced him to stop. There's a humbling there. Remember in the old Westerns around the fire when the outlaws are coming Everyone would go to sleep, but someone would stay up keeping watch. Or Hunger Games, when a middle schooler's about to lop off your head, someone's staying up in the tree and staying awake, right? No. We lay down our heads, we humble ourselves in a vulnerable place, and we sleep. This is a confusing message with Handel. I told you to stand up and now I'm telling you to sleep. (laughs) The Lord will lead you, right? (laughs) 
It was in Joseph's sleep that direction came for Joseph and Mary about Jesus. It was in Jacob's sleep that he received a, a blessing and a revelation of who God is. There's a rest that God wants to give you. And in that ordinary, no-name place of rest, he wants to bring you direction, a revelation of heaven, a revelation of the Lord, a stairway to heaven, and you can't buy it. Does anybody recognize that lyric? I got like two people who recognize it. Thank you. <laughs> I'd like to close with an appeal and a blessing. Could we stand for now? <laughs> Do you want to come up, Kathy, and just play something for us to finish out? It's interesting. There's this awareness of God's glory and majesty, the Lord on his throne, the mighty counselor, the, wonder, the wonderful, the prince of peace. Ah! I'm tongue-tied with that. When things are dark and gloomy, don't be like God's people during Isaiah's time. Don't. Don't turn to ungodly means of escape, comfort, or direction. Instead, turn to God. Bring him the gift of your burdens, your feelings, your talents, who you are. And when your plans have been toppled and your future seems uncertain like Joseph, may you hear from God in the night. May he help you with the chagrin. May he help you with the unknowns. May he help you with the embarrassment, whatever it is. Lord, help us when we're like Joseph. And when you are like Jacob, fighting with your brother, conniving with your mother, and running from home, stop. Just stop in any ordinary place. Lay your head down and rest. See a stairway to heaven at the top of that moaning cavern, hollering, I am with you. I will come down to you. I am with you. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to your land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I am the light of the world. You don't have to walk in darkness. I've got the light that leads to life. I'm your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your everlasting father, and your prince of peace. And all God's people say, amen. Let it be. Amen. So I would encourage you right now to turn to, we're going to have a prayer team over here where you can meet with people. You can come and pray with me. Turn to someone sitting next to you and say, will you pray 
that I'll have dreams that I will hear and I will recognize when God is speaking to me. Can we take a minute to do that? Let's do that.